The first annual Memorial Church snowball fight will commence <clears throat> 10 o'clock tomorrow. Are you ready? Have, have you been keeping up? I talked to somebody yesterday and they said, we haven't heard. And I said, oh my. It's a, a, a full-blown milk and eggs and bread alert, I think so. <clears throat> we will see. It's good to see you. Glad you're here today. And if you're visiting here, we're very, very happy to have you here and hope that you'll come back on many future occasions. <clears throat> I want to bring you up date on a couple of folks. Uh, Woody Melton is due to come home from the cottages tomorrow. We'll see how that works in the snow, but at any rate, he's making great progress. Um, received word at the early service this morning that uh, Diane Arthur, uh, some new folks to our church, uh, Diane's mother passed away uh, yesterday or the day before, and they're up in Virginia um, looking into uh, arrangements and, and uh, we'll be back with us sometime in the future. Andy Watson's grandmother passed away and was buried this last week. We ask you to remember them also um, in your prayers. Um, tonight, the children's program resumes and the choirs are practicing at different times than they used to be, so you'll need to listen up here. The preschool children's um, class will meet in the choir room at 5.30. They will go first. And then they will be moved up to the second floor of the Family Life Center. And parents, you may pick up your preschoolers upstairs in the Family Life Center at 7 o'clock. Elementary age children should report at 5.30 on the second floor of the Family Life Center to Miss Katie. And then they will be brought down to the choir room for their practice at the appropriate time. And parents, please pick your children up in the choir room at 7 o'clock. I hope you have marked your calendars for the annual Cheerful Hearts Midwinter Dinner, Sunday, February the 13th, 6 p.m. in the Family Life Center. There'll be more information to come on that later. We still are in need of some teachers for our preschool Sunday school classes. And also tonight at 5.30 for adults, four Bible studies begin, and there's information in the bulletin and other places regarding um, the nature of those Bible studies. Um, want to also just bring you up to date um, on where we are with our apportionments. I do appreciate all the second mile givers that we have had that try to help us um, make, make it to the 100% mark, but it does not look like we're going to make it. It now looks like we're going to fall about $7,000 short, roughly 10% short, um, which will be the first time since 1992, we think, that this church has not paid 100% of its apportionments. Now, I, I am not one to ask us to rob the new year in order to pay for obligations of the old year. But perhaps there are some of you that feel a great passion about our apportionments and would like to help. The only problem is we do need to come up with the full amount. So um, uh, if you would like to help, the, my guess is that the apportionment payments will be sent in as quickly as Ann Hammond can dig out of her driveway on uh, Monday or Tuesday. Um, the, these are important ministries that we're, we're not going to be able to support this year. And uh, hopefully we'll do better this next year. But if you would like, as I say, to help us with one last try, uh, please mark your envelopes or checks for uh, 2010 apportionments. And we would appreciate that very, very much. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
confirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed. Let us unite in this confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the faith and dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I have been told that I have a Teflon brain because nothing sticks to it, which is true because I had a couple of other important announcements handed to me that I forgot about. In light of the weather, uh, the Young at Heart Club is being canceled from their meeting this week because of the weather. That was to be on Wednesday. Um, the note comes from President John Cathy. Also, I have a note from Beverly that the Lydia Fellowship Circle it will be canceled for Tuesday, so we really are expecting some, uh, some big snow if a Yankee like Beverly cancels the meeting. Right, Beverly? Um, and also, I think I was supposed to call on someone to say a word or two this morning. Was it Ann? Would you like to come now and speak a word about our Bible studies? I'm Ann Culberson. Some of you may know me, but probably most of you know my daughters. Um, and I was asked to talk today about what Bible study means to me. I could be very brief and just tell you that it changed my life, uh, but I want to give credit where credit is due, and so allow me to say a few more words. My family and I had been attending this church for several years, on and off, and two summers ago, our girls started participating in some of the children's programs here. One evening in late August, we came to Memorial to drop off the children, and uh, we saw that there were two adult Bible studies being offered. And it was really spur of the moment. I told Scott I wanted to attend one of them, and it was the Disciples Bible study. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but already after the first night, I was hooked. Uh, Mike Henson led us through a 34-week Bible study, and I can honestly say that I couldn't wait to get together with my group every Sunday to talk about what we had read and watch the videos and discuss the readings. The reading was grueling. We had to read every night. Um, we had homework. It was, we read about the, almost the entire Bible in 34 weeks. Uh, but I assure you, it was not a chore. I had never before read the Bible in this systematic fashion, and it opened my eyes in so many ways. The most important thing for me was that I became a believer. Many of you were brought up in a church, but I wasn't. In fact, I had never attended a service until seven years ago. When I started reading the Bible, watching the videos, talking with my fellow classmates, um, I felt a veil come off my eyes. And I know God was at work in me, and I thank him daily for having been so patient with me, waiting till I was, I won't tell you my age, but old. <laughs> And, um, and still being so patient with me. All of us have various ways that we've come to become believers. Uh, for some, it's at a high point in their life. For some, it's a, at a very low point in their life. And I admit, for me, my life seemed to be going along just fine. And it was this Bible study that finally brought me to my knees. We are all in need of a savior. I just didn't know it until then. I realize everyone has different experiences but I can tell you one thing, reading the Bible on a daily basis really does make a difference. I'm a pretty disciplined person, but I find it hard to sit down every day and uh, open the Bible to read it. And a Bible study provided me with guidelines and a roadmap to follow, and it was a true blessing to me. The friends I made in class will be forever in my heart. We ended our 34-week Bible study with a dinner and it was a, a truly amazing experience. There were 13 of us around a table, um, and Pastor Hull joined us, and it was, it was really amazing. Since then, I've looked forward eagerly to each next Bible study. 
Uh, last fall, I was in a Bible study called Downpour, led by Kevin Duncan. And as much as the disciple study helped me to begin understand God's word in a more academic way, the Downpour study was an emotional study, uh, tugging at our heartstrings when we looked at our awesome God and the suffering that Jesus went through in order to save us. In fact, Eric Jeter was in that study, and he was so moved by it that he felt called to lead the next Bible study on downpour that starts tonight. And I'm joining another Bible study on Romans, led by Mike Henson again tonight. Uh, thankfully, it's only eight weeks long, but I really, I would not have minded it being longer. I cannot wait to read more of God's word. Once you start, you cannot get enough, I assure you. I'd like to end with a short message from David Jeremiah. He speaks of a gentleman named Reese Kauf Kaufman, Kaufman, president of Child Evangelism Fellowship, who grew up in a Christian home where certain habits were instilled into his life at a young age. For example, his mother had a bedtime ritual that Reese has never gotten away from, brush your teeth and read a chapter in your Bible daily. Those were the two rules that never varied for him. Even as a young businessman, when he had gotten away from the Lord, he still didn't abandon that habit, brush your teeth and read your Bible. And it was one night while reading Psalm 139 before bed that God spoke to him and got a hold of his life. Now, years later, he still maintains that same holy ritual, brush your teeth and read your Bible. Perhaps the most important aspect of Bible study is consistency. Um, and that's, that's why I encourage you to join a Bible study because it gives you this consistency, the homework, the group, uh, you're accountable to your group, you're accountable to yourself. And uh, Memorial's offering four Bible studies this term. They start tonight. And I really encourage you to check them out and join one. It will be a decision that you will not regret. I appreciate Anne speaking to us in English. She could have addressed us in fluent French or German as well. I'm barely speaking English and redneck. That's about all I can speak. But thank you very, very much. This time we invite our children to come forward to join Beverly Davis for a few moments of uh, sharing. Good morning. I'm surprised to see so many of you here on this cold morning. Speaking of cold, do you remember last week what Mrs. Parley told you? Remember? She talked about what? Those people in South Dakota and they were real cold, right? Well, I imagine there's some people in Greer that are pretty cold too, don't you think so? Today? And maybe in the next couple of days? We're very fortunate that here in Greer, we have Greer Community Ministries and Greer Relief and the Daily Bread Ministries and, and all the different churches who try to help these people who are cold or hungry at this time of year. In fact, all year long, but they aren't always cold in, in July. In the book of Matthew, Jesus tells the people who were with him that when you give food to someone who's hungry or clothes to someone who needs them, if you visit someone who's in prison, that you're doing it for him. Now, when I was a little girl, I learned a poem. I can't remember all of it. That was a long time ago. But I do remember part of it. It said, God has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to guide others in his way. Now, already somebody has told you what's going to happen tonight at 530 to 7. What is it? Bible studies, and what's the one called for the kids? Kids in mission. What's mission mean? John, what's, what does mission mean? Oh, if John doesn't know, does anybody else? Wait, you know, Sarah? Okay. Well, you know, sometimes you hear about the astronauts went on a mission to the moon. Are you any of you going to do that? No. Maybe a mission is a trip. Well, 
that's a possibility. Years and years ago, we used to hear, there used to be uh, ministers or priests, and they would try to start a new church, and sometimes they called that a mission. But in this case, this mission is a group of boys and girls, all of you, using your hands and maybe your feet too, I don't know, to do something for other people, to do it for God. Now, what projects did you do last year on Kids in Mission? Do you remember? I heard that you, what? You collected cans goods for the soup kitchen. Good. What else did you do? You collected some books for the Dunbar Center. Remember that? Um, and you helped fill up those shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Remember doing that? And you did one other thing. You had a make a swish, and you raised eighteen hundred dollars, one thousand eight hundred dollars, and it went to the school for the deaf and blind in uh, Spartanburg. Now, I understand the way that you made the money was each one of you had to make so many baskets and people made pledges and they said, if somebody makes a basket, I'll pledge a dollar and if they make two baskets, then I'll give two dollars and so forth. I don't know how they decided which player, which basketball player and which adult went together, but somehow I was assigned you, Andrew. Do you remember how many baskets you made last year? 31. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and I, I have a feeling that they're going to do that again this year. I've heard that as a, as a possibility. I don't know where the money will go. And I will pledge again, but maybe I won't get Andrew's name this time. I don't know. I don't know what kind of projects. Miss Katie and Miss Jessica have planned for you this year, but I'm sure that they will be good projects and you all will do a good job. And I think it's wonderful that you're learning at such an early age to be the hands of God. And I, I suspect that when you go on to junior high and high school, I don't know if Andy Watson will still be here now or then or somebody else will be working with the youth. But you'll be going on mission trips, probably, with them. And you know what? You might even go as far as South Dakota, because Andy likes to go that way. So I hope that you'll all be able to get to Mission Kids tonight. I hope the weather lets us do that at least tonight. We don't have to cancel that. But before you go, let's say, I would like to say a prayer with you. Thank you, God, for Miss Katie, Miss Jessica, and the others who lead these boys and girls in the Memorials Kids in Mission projects. Their hands may be small, but their hearts are big, and they want to do their part in God's work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now the first four verses of our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah 42, reading verses 1 through 4. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 29 on page 761. 
I invite you to stand as you're able as together we share this passage responsibly. <clears throat> ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars The Lord makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness The voice of the Lord makes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare. And in his temple the Lord. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as ruler forever. Reader's Digest version of our epistle lesson. Um, Simon Peter, after a vision, has gone to where he never expected to be seen, and that is in a non-Jewish household, a Gentile's home. Um, not only sharing time in that home and probably a meal, but also sharing the good news about Jesus. And this revelation came to him at the start of his sermon. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation who fear him and do what is right. As his sermon continued, the Holy Spirit came upon those that heard as it had upon Peter and the others in the beginning in Acts 2. And the Jewish followers who were there were amazed that God would pour out his Holy Spirit on these non-Hebrew people, to which Peter replied, and this is in verse 47, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together for a time in prayer. Lord, for the beauty of the world and of nature, we give you thanks. And even though with some apprehension we might be facing something that your creation is going to bring to us in the coming days, nevertheless, we marvel at the design that could create such beauty. And we're thankful for the blessings that are ours, not only the beauty of nature, but the gifts you have given us of a warm home to live in and food upon our table to sustain us during the long cold days ahead. Lord, we are mindful of those who aren't going to be in a warm place in the days to come, who might have to worry about where their next meal is coming from, and we pray always that you would keep us as your hands and feet to be in ministry to those who are in need. And may they know in our actions that we are motivated by the one who loves us and loves all of his children and is at work in all things to reconcile us to himself. We're thankful this day as we celebrate the baptism of Jesus, that Jesus entered your long-standing work of reconciling the world to yourself, that you had started years before that work of calling your children home, and that Jesus was the culmination of your good plan. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would use us as we go forth into our lives to be like John the baptizer, to follow in Jesus' footsteps, to help brothers and sisters of ours know that they may be reconciled to God, their Heavenly Father, that all has been forgiven and they may return home. We pray, O oh Lord, for our friends in special times of need. We are mindful of those who are suffering from loneliness and grief, and we ask your blessings upon them, and we pray for those who are in times of ill health this day, for we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
As the service goes on, I remember things whispered to me in the hall that I was supposed to have always already reported. Uh, why are you laughing behind? <laughs> I'm not going to repeat everything y'all whisper in the hall. But um, I did want you to know that um, Ellen Rogers um, is away from us today. Ellen and Steve are away. Ellen's sister over in the Rock Hill area has passed away, and that's uh, where they are. So remember, uh, contact them in the days to come to let them know that uh, you're thinking about them in this time of loss. And I've got to find out later what they're laughing about. We'll have to see about that. The uh, gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Here ends the lesson. Sometimes new insight comes from places you might not expect or that you might least expect that new insight to come from. For instance, last Sunday night I was attending the youth gathering upstairs and Andy was leading them in a study of the book of James. He and I both pointed out to the youth that the book of James is worthy of our study for if for no other reason from the fact that it was written by someone who was the child of Mary and Joseph. Now Jesus didn't leave any written work, but his little brother James did. And uh, that fact alone is uh, something we need to think about and be amazed about. We can get a look into the household of, jo of Joseph and Mary uh, by studying the book of James and see what was considered important but the real new insight that I received last Sunday night came from a high school student who has had to contend her whole life with the fact that she has older siblings who have gone before her through elementary, middle, and high school. And so she has teachers that say, oh, so-and-so was your brother. You know how that is. And so this young lady said, wouldn't you have hated to be James? And go to high school and have teachers compare you with Jesus every day? Well, James certainly did have a very hard act to follow. Not only does insight come from strange places, but Jesus has a way of showing up in places that we really don't expect to find him. A seven-day-long wedding party in Cana exhausted and asleep in a boat during a severe storm, in some rather seedy places in the market populated by what you and I might consider the scum of the earth. And in our lesson today, more than 50 miles away from his hometown, in a line of praying, crying sinners who were afraid of God's wrath which was about to come upon the earth, Jesus was waiting in that line, waiting his turn to be baptized. That last place was such a strange, uh, strange place for Jesus to be found that even John had to point it out. You're coming to me here? John objected. I'm the one who should be coming to you to be baptized by you. It just didn't seem to fit. Jesus was so out of place there. But Jesus insisted that John go ahead with his baptism. It was proper to do this, John, uh, Jesus said, and it would somehow fulfill righteousness. In preparing for today's sermon, I decided to examine every translation of the Bible that I could find in my office 
as I tried to understand why Jesus came to John for baptism. What was motivating him? And just what did he say to John? What did that mean that got John to agree to baptize him? Several translations seem to be telling us that Jesus thought that John's ministry was a new commandment from God for all people to go to if they wanted to be right with God. You will remember that Jesus asked some religious leaders for their opinion as to whether John's baptism was from heaven or human in origin, the implication being that if John's baptism had been given to us by God, then why didn't you go down to him to repent and be baptized? The J.B. Phillips translation says, but Jesus replied, it is right for us to meet all the law's demands, so let it be so now. The Good News Bible follows this thought also, saying, but Jesus answered John, let it be so for now, for in this way we will do all that God requires. We must do all that God wants us to, and... <clears throat> This must be done because we must do everything that is right. Our translation from the CEV and the New Living Bible, respectively. This train of thought has Jesus participating in baptism because he thought that this was a new requirement sent by God to all people. But I really think there was more to it than just that. <clears throat> I believe that Jesus saw that this baptism was the continuation of a, of a work that God had been involved in since the beginning of time. Perhaps Jesus saw himself and John as taking up the mantle of tasks that God had been doing for a long, long time, that of reconciling all people to himself. The paraphrase of the Bible known as the message expresses this idea. Listen to how it translates the verse. But Jesus insisted, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. So John did it. So perhaps Jesus came to John for baptism because he believed that this was authorized by God himself and therefore important, and because it was part of what God had been doing for so very long and would continue doing through Jesus' ministry, bringing sinners back home to himself. It's also very interesting to me that the New International Version of the Bible uses the word righteousness to explain Jesus' motivation. It says, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. What might there be about righteousness that would cause Jesus to stand in this line of unworthy sinners to be baptized? As one who was given a proper religious training in the home of his youth, Jesus would have understood that righteousness, right standing with God, was something that you only received when God gave it to you. It wasn't something that you earned. It was a gift of God. Therefore, Jesus was doing in that line of sinners what he had done many times before in the synagogue and temple, to humbly stand before God, not claiming any goodness of his own, but trusting in God's goodness to confer upon him the gift of right standing. If God's son trusted in God and was declared right by his faith in God, how much do you and I need to have our trust in God? So Jesus was baptized, perhaps because he considered it something that God commanded, perhaps because it was part of his calling to reconcile people to God, and perhaps because he knew that baptism was a sign of God's unconditional love, grace, and acceptance. Perhaps we shouldn't be all that surprised to find Jesus at the side of a group of sinners 
people who are praying for forgiveness and strength and seeking to live in God's favor. Then there was another reason that Jesus asked to be baptized, and it had to do with the coming of the Spirit upon him. One of the things that we often say is that the Holy Spirit is present whenever someone is baptized, conveying to us the message from God, this one is my child. Just what was going on here anyway with Jesus after he was baptized by John. There were those in the early church who were known as adoptionists, who believed that it was at this moment that Jesus actually became God's son and the Messiah, adopted as it were by God, that up until this moment he had just been a normal human being. Those who believed this were eventually defeated by those who believed in the virgin birth and the pre-existence of Jesus in heaven before his birth, but this was a hotly debated issue in the early church. In our day, our Pentecostal friends have seized upon this experience of Jesus as proof that Jesus experienced a baptism in the Holy Spirit, just as the apostles did in Acts 2. The implication being that before this moment, Jesus had not been full of the Spirit. And I have a little problem with that interpretation. For one reason, because the angel told Zechariah that John the baptizer would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment of his birth. And I cannot believe that Jesus would have been any less full of the Spirit than John at any point in his life. So this is what I believe was happening to Jesus after he was baptized. And my interpretation begins with the belief that it's best not to try to box God in, to let God be God. God's Spirit is like the wind, Jesus said. And the Spirit, therefore, is very unpredictable and unrestrained. Mystery always involves the work of the Spirit. And the minute you think you've got it all figured out, watch out. He will surprise you with something new. The same apostles, for example, who were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, were filled again two chapters later in Acts 4 after a time of prayer. In Acts 2, the Spirit was given and the apostles recognized it was time to start preaching the gospel. In Acts 3 and Acts 4, the apostles experienced the first hostility, the first serious persecution as Christians. And it was after that that they prayed and the Spirit came upon the apostles again to help them overcome their newfound fears. So what I believe is that what Jesus and John saw, the Spirit visibly coming down upon Jesus, was something that had happened many times already to Jesus during the time he was growing up. I'm sure that it happened in future times too, again and again, as Jesus retreated for times of prayer. Jesus knew what it was to be filled with fear and to be fatigued at those times, he would withdraw for prayer and receive refreshing from the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure that that last night on earth, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that God would let the cup of suffering pass by him, that Jesus experienced the Holy Spirit again coming upon him, giving him power and strength to carry the cross for us. But the coming of the Spirit right after he was baptized was the sign Jesus needed to know that the time was right for his work to begin. And it was the empowering he needed to start his ministry. The Spirit, though, would come to Jesus again and again to help him in other times of need. When you were baptized, the Spirit came upon you. When you professed faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit came upon you. But I hope you didn't stop there and think that you were full grown, no longer in need of future visitations from the Holy Spirit upon you. A thud was heard one night in a home, and parents ran into their son's room to find that he had rolled out of bed and hit the floor. 
The parents said, son, why did you fall out of bed? And the little boy said, I guess I fell asleep too close to where I crawled in. Some of us are guilty of falling asleep too close to where we crawled into the Christian family. There is a depth that we've not yet achieved in our commitment to Christ. Pentecost can be repeated daily upon you, giving you new insight and strength. What would it be like if every day you could hear God saying to you a word of affirmation, you are my child and I love you. I am very pleased with you. Many of us, I think, feel that if God said anything to us, it would be something like, boy, what is wrong with you today? Can't you do better than that? I guess we know that this would be accurate and what we deserve from time to time. But God always seems to have a good word for us. Jesus always had an affirming word to sinners who came to him for forgiveness. To doubting Nathaniel, who didn't believe in Jesus because nothing good ever comes out of that town of Nazareth. But when he got to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, you're a true Israelite. There's nothing phony about you. I try to remember this as I encounter people every day. What affirmation can I give to them? What can I say to them that will help them experience God's love? Sometimes you have to say something to somebody when they don't deserve it. Take, for instance, my little boy John, who just happens to be here today, and I didn't know he was coming. That's good. That means I get to go out to lunch. <clears throat> but um, when John was a little two, two-and-a-half, three-year-old boy, he was into mischief like all little boys are at about that age. It's normal. And one day he was not doing what I had asked. He was not going to his bed to take a nap. And so about the umpteenth time I put him to bed, I looked at him and I said, John, you're a fine little boy. And he looked up at me and he said, and daddy, you are one fine daddy. Affirming words have a wonderful impact on us. Have you said to your child today, you're a fine young man, you're a fine young girl, they might have some words of affirmation to say back to you. Listen for God's words of affirmation to you each day. You know, he is able to overlook an awful lot and pat you on the back for the good that you did do. You're my child, and I love you this day. I am so pleased with you. God, who had long been at the task of reconciling the world to himself, was now sending John out into the ministry of reconciliation, and that ministry was going to be continued by the Messiah. God says to us, you're my child. The Spirit can descend upon us also, empowering us to live the Christian life. And with the hymn writer, we can sing, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Amen. Amen.